Hello, welcome to Talking Flutes, and I'm Claire Southworth, and I have with me today John Paul Wright. Hello, John Paul. Hello, John Paul. That's, that shocked you, didn't it? I shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Normally you can't stop me, can you? Hello, Claire. Um, hello, Normally I can't stop you. So, John Paul is very bright today. He's in a bright red top, and I shouldn't be surprised, really. Anyway, it's yeah, ever the shrinking violet me. Ever the shrinking violet. So we're sitting in my kitchen. Yeah. Um, doors and windows are open because the sun is shining and it's very warm. And we're going to talk about a variety of things today, I think, John Paul. Yeah, they've been sent in, haven't they? Questions sent in by the listeners. That's right. Um, and the, the first one is about summer flute courses, why you should go on them. And maybe my experience of them as well. Yeah, there used to be lots of summer flute courses, didn't there? There still are. In the UK, oh, there still are? Yeah. Oh, okay. In the UK, there didn't seem to be as many nowadays as there used maybe to be. Maybe not, I don't know. I, must, I, I haven't had too close a look, but this, there, are the, the, there are the normal ones that you always, yeah. that you always hear about. You know, when I was finishing school, there was only one which people went on, the International Summer School. Well, at Stratford? Oh, no, one. no, that was with, that was Elena's. That was, from. that was Elena's and Sue Milan. Wasn't Sue Milan at Stratford? No, Sue. She was at Hindhead. Okay, so the International Summer School was in Kent. So it started off in Canterbury and then went to Ramsgate. Okay, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. So this is the sort of time that people should be thinking about if they want to go to summer school, have a little do a little bit of research. But I really want to talk about why go on them? So there, I suppose there are two main points to think about. That summer schools, they give the opportunity for students to learn from experts in their field. So you'll be able to meet people that you wouldn't normally meet and have lessons from them. But also summer schools are in the holiday period and the people who are attending are generally on their holidays. And it, that's something that's often forgotten. Mm. So sometimes it's a, it becomes very serious and quite intense on these courses and they people forget people are running the courses forget that people are there on their holidays and they've paid money to to go on their holiday and learn at the same time you can imagine i was a nuisance at summer schools couldn't you i I can definitely imagine that because i was on holiday i was on holiday doing something i love which is playing the flute learning but also i wasn't in full-time education at the time because i was in that gap Hmm. So part of my brain was already in holiday mode. But, but that's good, because I think that when you're relaxed on holiday, you learn more. Yeah. You need to, you, if there's fear, you don't learn. So you, need, you learn better when you're in a relaxed environment. I think there's, there's the initial fear, because you're going on a summer, summer school or summer course, where the people taking it are very high up in the flute-playing food chain. So you could potentially look up to them. It could be your heroes, your idols, or whatever. And for the first time, you're in a surrounding where they're there in front of you. And then you can possibly be going up in a masterclass format, playing for them, with them critiquing you. So whether it can be completely laid back, I'm not sure. Because I remember the first time I went on one, you think, oh, my word. I've been, I've been sort of chosen to play tomorrow. Yet if I was just doing my flute lessons at school, that would been very different. Yes, I, I remember my first course, and it was a, a class 
with WIB. And they didn't have timetables then. It was who wants to play and you put your hand up. So I thought, well, I need to be brave because otherwise I'll sit here all day and I'll just shake and feel sick. So I stuck my hand up and got up to play. And I think I was mm, 14 or 15. And I was playing Handel's Sonata. And I was terrified at that time. Um, and I, had, I did have a recording of it. And I played through one movement of Handel's Sonata. And everything Whip says to me, all you can hear me go is, hmm, hmm. So I, I couldn't actually physically say anything. And I remember I was sort of reacting and trying to do all the things he asked me to do. But when I sat down, I'd sort of forgotten it. And that's what happens at masterclasses, that you learn far more by sitting and listening than you do by standing up and playing. So would you recommend that people went into the masterclass with a pencil? I say more than a pencil. I say with a notebook as well. <laughs> to, to, to write the notes down. That would help, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would help. Definitely, you write down everything because you write down things that you might not understand at that particular point in time. But then, at a later date, you will understand. And if you write in relation to particular pieces, when, it, when you get to learn that piece, you can, you can read up you know, the information that you have and it helps start you off. Do you know, that uh, reminds me of something that I saw... Remember the first Flutewise event, or the really big one at Barbican all those years ago? I do, ago? yeah, I was there. You were there, so was I there, without any clothes on, wasn't I? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we won't go into that, will we? <laughs> <laughs> the Chippendales, Chippen flutes at the, the time. But anyway, I digress as usual. But I remember, I, I think Jonathan Snowden did Sweet Antique. That was one of the, you did a beautiful podcast a couple of weeks ago on Sweet Antique. And I'm sure it was Jonathan Snowden did a performance of Sweet Antique. And there were some... Lady flute teachers sat in front of me with the flute part and they were all annotating it as he was playing it, putting breath marks in. So they were sort of listening but actually writing on it yep. at the same time. It's a good technique. It's a good skill to do. What well, do you think that was that? That was a long time ago. Was that 20, uh, a long, 25 years, 24 years? Could have been, years? yes, something like that. But nowadays you have a mobile phone. What's the etiquette with recording, videoing a class? I think you, can, you can't record unless you've asked. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favour of having lessons recorded when it's private. Yes. Um, so that the, the student can take something away. I haven't got a problem with that at all. But I think in a, in a master class, generally speaking, someone can record the class for everybody and then peop other peop then the students can then get copies of that. But I think if, if everyone's got their phones on, I think it's slightly distracting and you're not necessarily listening. Agreed. It's also distracting for the player, knowing that they're being yep. measured, isn't it? Yep, it is distracting. So I think it'd be far better to say there's going to be an official recording and if you want a copy, we can deal with that. Because if otherwise you're not sitting in that class and paying attention you're concerned with what's coming on your phone. And you might think, well, it's on the phone, so I don't really need to listen that carefully. Yes, and I always wonder about that when people go to sports matches or, say, for example, uh, New Year's fireworks in London. Yeah. You find more people stood looking at it through their phone than actually putting their phone down and looking up in the sky. That's right. So you really miss it. Same on big golf tournaments. You see all the crowds holding their phones up, watching people take shots, rather than look at the person taking the shot. 
And I wonder how many times people actually look back at the video they've just taken. Well, who knows? But it's important, I think, to be in the present moment. And we're going to be talking about that yeah. a little bit later. But I very much feel that the use of mobile phones has distracted all of us quite a lot. And we need to come back more to the present and be a little bit more aware of what's going on around us. So this awareness rather than just getting it all on a phone. Yeah. But so we'll talk about that later. We are. So in a masterclass format on a, on a flute course, it's very important that you go with a pencil and a notepad. Yes. And what, you, what are you meant to be scribing? Just anything they say that, that you can feed back into that piece? Absolutely. So I mean, it might just be something as simple as, wow, I don't know what that piece is, but I love it. Let me make a note of it. And then if there's, there's a, you know, you, you don't know what's going to come up in a class. It might be general information about posture or creating a sound or style of the piece. Or, or, but generally, an, an interpretation, of course. Mm-hmm. So really, anything you hear, you need to, to jot it down so that you can make sense of it when you come to learn that particular piece. Because the danger, if you don't, is that we have... Well, honestly, we have goldfish brains, do we? But we normally remember a very fraction of what Tiny we fraction. Yeah. And, of course, if you're sitting in a two-hour class, you know, maybe three, four people might stand up and play. So by the time the fourth person stood up to play, you've forgotten what the first person was doing. Yes. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Essentially, when you have a lesson, if you were to come away and one week write down things that you heard and then the next week don't and see you know how it compares how much do you remember sort of like the day afterwards maybe record the second one so that you can how much do you actually remember that's a fair point i'd imagine very little if you don't write notes down or record them nowadays yeah but maybe not the important things you know there are certain things you might remember but it's it's good to have the whole picture and then you learn in a, in a better way. So notepad and pencil is just as important as your flute on a summer absolutely, school. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you can, have the music in front of you. Yeah. We, we talked about what they do. They give the opportunity for you to learn from experts in your field. And it's often a holiday, not to forget that. But all the summer schools offer something different. So a lot of people are thinking, which one should I go on? You, you must decide what do you want to get out of your summer school and then you've got to do some research because you may be an enthusiastic adult learner or a school-age student want to take your flute further or already a college student wanting to hone your skills so you need to pick the course that fits you so just wanted to go through some things to consider sure who are the teachers what's on offer what are the costs so tuition, accommodation, food. So you've got to be very wary of the cost being broken down. So when I did my summer schools, we gave a complete figure of the fee. The fee was included everything. It, it included all your tuition, your, your accommodation, so and all, all the food. But some schools break this up. And so you think, oh, look, I can go on this wonderful summer school. It's only going to cost me £300 for the week. And then... The accommodation is added on afterwards and you suddenly find that you're paying an awful lot more. Be aware of the cost being broken, broken down because it all adds up very quickly. And then, how many lessons are you going to get? And what sort of lessons? Are they private? Are they masterclasses? Are there workshops? Because they all offer something different. What abilities are catered for? 
What sort of environment is, it, is the course in? What else is offered? So that if you're going for a holiday as well as a learning experience, what's offered to help you in that holiday mode as well as in the learning mode? Whereas other people, other students just want the tuition at the highest possible level. There are lots of things to consider. You really need to do your research. So if you look at the serious courses. Serious courses? You mean there's not serious courses? <laughs> well, there are, you know, there are, there are some, some courses where you go and just have an awful lot of fun. I'm thinking of things like the flute-wise courses, mm. which are for younger players. And it's, it's, it's just a fun-packed week, which is wonderful. And young of mind, like me. Yes, possibly. <laughs> um, but if you look at serious courses, sure. they're good at judging how well you play compared to your peers. I, I know from for so many years doing auditions at the at the conservatoires that you you would have someone in front of you and you say, you know, what are your experiences in flute? Have you been on any summer schools? No. Have you been for um, consultation lessons? No. Do you listen to other flute players? No. So then you think, well, that's why you have no idea about what level you're at. So summer schools allow you to hear other people at your stage, whether it be just before college auditions or a few years before. So if you're going to audition for music college, this is a good time to see what the competition is. And it's also a good opportunity to, to play and learn with tutors from those conservatoires and get advice about auditions, practice, repertoire. Then those tutors help you make informed choices. And I remember on so many summer schools, students saying to me, oh, I think I might play this piece and this piece. And I'd say, well, you know, this piece doesn't show you off in the best light, but this piece does. And your, the, your strength in your playing is your musicality, but you're not playing anything with enough beautiful phrases. Or your sound is your strength, play something that shows off that sound. Or great technique, play something that shows off that technique or your articulation. Certainly on my courses, I try to have tutors from many different conservatoires. So they're all Northern, Guildhall, Trinity, and the Academy. Courses for all ages, all abilities, and trying to offer something for everyone. One question. You go on these courses and you're really looking forward to it. You get, in there, you get there and there's a couple of whiz kids. Yeah. It's How does that make be. you feel? Well, you have to say in life there's always going to be people better than you and there's going to be an awful lot more people who are worse than you. But maybe you have to get your mind set before you go that you're going to learn. Absolutely. And you want to get out of it what's important for you. And some of these whiz kids, it's great. You can learn, you can learn from them when they're standing up and playing. But in my experience, actually, it's the less abled that teach you the most. And also in life, it's not the best that get the furthest. It's the people who uh, integrate and are socially able that that do better. I think we spoke about this recently on a previous podcast when you were talking about with kids, but you're not with kids, but you're talking about technical players and that how impressive it is to play really fast. However, it isn't that that moves you. Yes. So as you're saying there, that if you're impressed by somebody going to a masterclass that can play really fast, 
are you just as impressed when they play slowly? Do they move you? Yeah. Because often the person that isn't as technically gifted can move you in a different way. Absolutely. And in classes, it's, I found this very interesting over the years that, yes, you want to prepare for your class and you want to pick a piece where you can learn from whoever it is you're playing to. But quite often, someone will get up and play something that they do really, really well. And I've heard people say, well, you already play this very well. I don't think I can help you. Really? Yes. I've heard that a few times. Oh, wow. And also, I, I remember hearing another class abroad where someone played uh, a very a, a, a tricky piece and the, the master, this master class, said, this piece is all about rhythm. You have very good rhythm. I have nothing else to say. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> so, and that was that. I found that it was, it was it's, it's harsh. But in fact, it was true. They played it very well, but they weren't... Sometimes you have to show also... Like in a lesson, you show what you can't do as much as what you can do. Yeah, so it is... How is, how is it? Because I always found it very hard on flute courses to show your vulnerability yes. in a small setting. It's easy to be vulnerable on a one-to-one with a teacher, but when you're on a summer course and you're socialising in the evenings and during the day with the flutists that you're on with, you go in front of the master or one of the tutors you need to show your vulnerability and that's quite hard when you're, you're creating this rapport with the people that you're on the course with. Absolutely and that's why it's also important to research who you're going to play to because some people are very harsh Right. and if, you're, if you feel vulnerable or you're sensitive you could be completely destroyed by standing up in a class where you get sort of the blunt, brutal facts, maybe about your playing. So you've really got to be quite careful. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was just one thing that used to. I used to find it quite hard to be emotionally sensitive in a slow movement in front of people that I've just been larking around with. And I, I suppose it's my mental age at the time. I think, but. Uh, but it's odd, you know. In in music, you're. It's like exposing yourself. You're, you're saying, this is what I do, this is how I feel, you know. And you need someone to be, uh, to have empathy with that and be sympathetic towards what you're trying to do and be constructive in the criticism because you're, you're getting up there to be, yes, to be criticised in a way because you want to be helped. You want to move from A to B, but you don't want to be destructive criticism. You want it to be constructive. So you need to always start with something positive Mm -hmm. from the teacher's point of view. You know, to give someone a sense of of worth so that um, you you congratulate them on what it is they've done and, you know, really enjoyed this this part of your playing, that part of your playing. But there are some points that I, I heard that we really want to have a look at, which are this, this and this. And then let's work, let's work through them. And then allow them at the end to play through a little bit more so that it, it ends on a positive note. Well, that goes back to a previous discussion we've had on this when I did say, because you used to do lots of summer schools, didn't you, when yes. you were younger, growing up. And you said it was by making yourself vulnerable in that situation that you would learn. And unless, if you go, if you don't want to learn, then don't put yourself in that situation. 
Yeah. So you have to change your mindset into say, I'm going up there. I know I'm going to critique, be critiqued. However, it makes me feel I need to learn from that. Hmm. And um, yeah, you're exactly right. It, yeah. you, you put yourself in that position to learn. And the tutor will be hopefully as constructive as possible to enable you to take away, even if you take two or three points away that can make you change your interpretation of that piece. Hmm. You've learnt yeah, no, absolutely. And summer schools generally can be quite intense. Yes. But there's often this sort of close-knit community with, with like-minded people where you can feel a bond and that will help you. Yes. And these days people, they seem to be far more supportive. Uh, if, you're, if you're with people for a week, they're more supportive of you standing up and playing. And they, they can boost your... Uh, uh, confidence especially if they know by then that you have a vulnerability because yes. you've opened up yep. on a social setting yeah absolutely but you know if you're an enthusi enthusiastic amateur um, this is also important that you research what the course is offering yeah and not so to go to something that's really for the high flyers yeah can we sort of just pigeonhole that enthusiastic amateur and that is people that have returned back to flute playing that is people that have just played the flute on and off over the years and you'd be going to yep. a summer school with music college students postgraduate students yep so it could be adult learners or it could be someone at school who's doing it for fun who has no intention of going any further and that's when it's be you've got to be careful that the, the people on the course won't discriminate against you so you have to ask questions about age range, ability range, what lessons are available, with whom you get lessons. Yes. Um, are there enough playing opportunities in choirs and chamber music? So you can't assume because you're attending the course with a top professional that you get lessons with that top professional. Many courses have assistants. So you pay all this money to go to Joe Bloggs Summer School and you can't get near Joe Bloggs because he's got six assistants and that's who you have the lessons with. So I always pride myself in my schools that I offered lessons to people of all ages and all abilities, no discrimination. And each, they'd all have lessons with you? Yes. We, we, we divide them up between the two, main, the two main teachers, but we try and see them. If they didn't have a masterclass with you, they'd have a private lesson with you. I, um, I started my own flute course. Yes, let's talk about your one. 1986, and that was in the Lake District. I had an awful lot of ideas on how to run a successful course. Didn't say I was going to do it, but I had ideas. Because I had so many years of experience on the international summer school down in Kent. And that was an incredibly successful course in the 70s and the early 80s. But not for everyone. <laughs> because the emphasis was on the top players. It was a highly competitive course. Was that your choice, by the way? Yes, I okay. loved it. I loved it. I was competitive. I thought okay. it was it, the bee's knees. It was just brilliant. <laughs> so, but it was highly competitive. And every student had to audition when they arrived. Good grief. Which was really difficult. And then they were grouped into classes. And it was a, it was a grading system. So you arrived, you immediately had to go and audition. And it was grouped A, B, C, D. A would play to Wib, C and D would play to me and to Kate Hill. Mm -hmm. But so difficult to judge on sometimes what would be like a two-minute audition, <laughs> especially if you travelled halfway across the world. Yes. I remember one, one player who travelled from Australia. She's a top professional now. 
and she'd literally arrived at the course and she'd been late because flights had been late, jet lagged, exhausted. And she had to go on audition. She, and she literally had to just get her flute out and blow. Didn't go very well. And she, was, she was, didn't get into the, the, the top classes, which was scandalous because she had so much ability. I remember thinking at the time, that's not, it's not right. I mean, she was devastated, but incredibly talented and has gone on to be hugely successful. So it was interesting that many, many students said they learned the most from Kate Hill and myself because we had the people who weren't so able, but they saw us every day. Sure. We gave them lessons every day. And those students mostly were learning for fun. And the students who didn't get through to the main classes were sort of often made to feel worthless. So my own course was conceived by addressing the negative parts of that course and turning them into positives. Your, your dogs have arrived back. They have arrived back. They've been but they're for a quite, walk. relatively quiet. They've been for a walk on the beach, haven't they? Might, yes, they might be able to hear them drinking water now. And we can hear them drinking water. Oh, they are. <laughs> Fresh yeah. water rather than salt water, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Rolf's arrived back too. Hello, Rolf. Are you putting the coffee on? Oh, yeah, have <laughs> let's have Let's have a quick break while the coffee machine goes on. Oh, let's just quick, let's, let's keep on sure? nurturing. Yeah, All let's right keep then. going. Okay, so... I was talking that, about, that is funny. It is funny. It's quite loud. <laughs> so, um, so my course that I was, I, I wanted it to be for all ages, all abilities, to make everyone feel they had a sense of worth and, and make sure they felt welcome. You can learn just as much from a less able student as you can from a top student. And basically, if someone has the desire to learn, then I felt it was my job to help them. Sure. Uh, and that's, that's what teaching is all about. So I wanted to create a happy and relaxed environment uh, where you could learn without fear. So I booked a very large house in the Lake District and it was overlooking Bassenthwaite Lake. And I recruited my sister and a friend from college and they did the cooking. So we hired a van, we put a piano in it, we put food for the week and the three of us and we drove up to Bassenthwaite Lake we filled the common areas with sweets and flowers. <laughs> um, we had a mixture of master classes, workshops, individual lessons, and everyone was welcome, and we tried to instill confidence regardless of their age or ability. Everybody was equal. And I think it worked really well. It was a very happy environment. Well, it must have worked very well, Claire, because you transplanted... Transplanted? Transported the course down south, didn't you? Yeah, because we had... Uh, um, I was lucky on the, the Lake District course. I can't remember how many years it ran for, maybe five or six years. But I always had Jonathan Mile from Just Flutes mm -hmm. who would come and do a shop there for us. And after a few years, he said to me that I should run the course further south. And he said he would support it. And that's how Waldingham, the Waldingham Flute course was was created and it ran for 22 years it did and um fully i think sub fully subscribed every fully year fully subscribed it? it was absolutely fabulous and i think for the last course we had it set up perfectly so we had ian clark teaching alongside me and gary wolf louise matthews tim carey on piano Whoa. and visitors including we sambistani michael cox many others it was a wonderful experience and i did love every moment but it, it was incredibly hard work 
But I always sort of dreaded getting there because I had so much work to do before I went. Things like timetables and sorting out repertoire and all the choir music and making sure that everyone was equally served. You know, everyone had an equal amount of, of lessons and so they would be, they'd be happy by the end. But by the time you got there, I'd sort of had it all fixed. And then by the time you finished, exhausted, but incredibly happy and satisfied that it had gone so well. So when you looked at the students when they arrived, and then you saw the same students as you got to know them at the end of the week, what do you think is the key to how they looked? More relaxed. More relaxed? Yes. More relaxed with their playing? More, More relaxed with their playing, that they, they felt there was no fear. They learnt without fear. You, you keep bringing that up, no fear, and I think that's an important thing for us to grab hold of. Because that goes back to what I said earlier about being almost afraid to play in the masterclass situation yes. yep. in front of the peers that you've just met, in mm. front of your idle flute players, flute teachers. Yeah, you can be nervous. Yeah. I'm trying to, dis to, to differentiate between nerves and fear. Um, so people are still nervous, but they're not fearful. And if they understand that it's this close-knit of students is willing you on to do your best. And so it was a very social course. You know, we mixed in with, with everybody. And we also put ourselves into situations that were out of our comfort zone. So I, there was one occasion, I might have mentioned it previously, but I can't remember now, my memory is going. But we invited Rob Buckland, um, a saxophone professor at the Royal Northern, to come and give a class on improvisation. It was jazz and improvisation. And I've always been terrified of improvisation. I had always been terrified. Anyway, he came and gave a, a whole morning, like a three-hour class on improvisation. And um, went through things, demonstrated, and he was so relaxed, so such fun to listen to. And I was sitting on the back row with Jonathan Mile and just letting the class enjoy and all playing sort of things in unison. And then towards the end of the class, Rob Buckland went, right, now, we've done lots together. You've seen how easy it is. There's nothing to be frightened of. So we're going to do it. You're all each individually going to give it a go. And here's the backing track, and we're going to start with Claire Southworth. <laughs> At which point... And you've just been sat there listening and I've been it. listening and doing all the jo joining in with the... Because everyone's playing together, yeah. but in a perfectly relaxed way. And I, my heart stopped. And I, and I said, no, no, you can't. He said, yes, yes, I can. So I did. And I just played, and they could see that I was just sort of vulnerable. But then everybody else had a go. So in, in a way, it was quite... That was very perceptive of Rob because it was almost though to show yeah Claire can be vulnerable she may be the main tutor on the course it may be her course mm. but in out of her comfort zone yeah and that we can all learn yes we can all learn by doing it the other thing that we did in the last few years of the course this is with with Ian Clark and myself is that we had a we did joint classes and the Ross just put, put, his, put a video on with noise. I turned it off and he's looking very sheepish. We did the first and the last class of the course was a joint one we did together. And the first one is we, we talked generally about what we, how we thought the week was going to go and that everyone would get up and just play a phrase. 
And we said, we don't mind what you do. It could just be a phrase from one of your pieces. It can be with piano if you want. It could be a scale. It can be anything. Just get up and play just one little thing. So just a few bars. And, and then we would all chat about it. So it wasn't Ian myself critiquing what that person was doing. We would say to the class, what do you think? And it would start off slow and then begin, begin to gather momentum. But it was enthusiastic, it was motivating, it was comforting. And everybody after that first class felt relaxed, that they'd already be, stood up and they played, rather than waiting for their moment in that week to stand up and play. And it was fascinating for, 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 for Ian and me because it, it, it created this, this bond between everyone and it made the classes go so much better because it wasn't a new thing to stand up and play. And then at the end of the course, we did the same thing. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. And everyone, and we, had, come, everyone had flowered. They'd come from their little... Yeah, and class. we say, you know, what do you feel you've learnt from the week? And, you know, someone would get up and say, I've learnt that I can stand up and play and you're not going to be judgmental. That you're going to... <laughs> yes, that you've, yes. you've done nothing but help me and yeah. I feel energised by that. I've, I feel encouraged. I feel motivated. I feel I've improved. I feel confident. And that's the main point that a summer flute course and flute course, any, when, wherever you go, whenever you go, it's to be empowered, to know that you shouldn't be judging yourself or measuring yourself against other players and that even the biggest names in the flute world will have time for you on their courses. But Absolutely. also to judge well the course you go on, do your research. Do your research and if you, so for example, if all you want to do is study with Joe Bloggs at a conservatoire. Look and see which courses Joe Bloggs teaches on, and then maybe go on that course. If you want to be able to play a lot in choirs, chamber music, workshops, look at courses that give you that opportunity. Because some courses might give you just one lesson, and other courses might give you lots of different types of lessons. Just do your research so that you don't come away disappointed. And as an amateur and a returner or someone that just plays for the fun of it, again, do your research, but go on and have a great time. Have a great time. They're meant to be fun. It's your holiday. You're meant to be having a great time. That's a good point to stop on, I think, John Paul. Well, it is, because I know you've stopped Rolf from putting the coffee machine on, so because uh, I know it's quite a noisy one. Let's stop for a coffee break. I hope that's been uh, good information for people who want to go on summer schools. For me personally... I had a fantastic time going on summer schools. I went as a student from the age of 14 or 15. By the age of 18, I was helping on the, on the summer schools. By the age of, I think, 20, I was teaching. And it taught me an awful lot, and I'm incredibly grateful to, to, to that opportunity. And it's just a great thing to go and do. You've almost persuaded me to go on one again. Almost. Almost. <laughs> I'll talk about it over coffee. <laughs> Thanks, John Paul. Thank you. And um, the next Talking Flutes, we are going to be talking about what, Claire? I think we're going to talk about a little more mindfulness. Oh, yeah. And maybe on, maybe on what to do in the long summer break in terms of practice. Oh, that'd be a great idea. Yes, and how to keep your flute playing going. So from Claire and I in a very sunny hove, as it always is down here, I'm just looking forward to the coffee, Rolf. Take care and speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Yes. Thank you.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.